0: Welcome to One More Time, A Wind Band Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Tulio, and today we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and how it's affected the band world, the challenges band directors have faced during the pandemic, advice for current and future band directors, and why it was so important to continue to make music during the pandemic. Today's story was produced by Mike Tulio. For this edition of Two Minute Rehearsal Techniques, we have Luke Johnson, the Director of Bands and Music Education at Mid-America Nazarene University. Dr. Johnson received his undergraduate degree in music education from Mid-America Nazarene University, did his Master's in Band Conducting and Music Education at Kansas State University, and received his DMA in Wind Conducting from the University of Kansas.
1: All right, today I'm gonna to talk about fixing intonation through targeted listening. I can't tell you how many times when hearing bad intonation, bad sounds from my band, I'd say something like, listen and point to my ear or play in tune as if the player simply needed to hear my inspirational voice and then they'd be motivated to play in tune. The truth is we need to provide targets for their listening. Often, most of the out of tune issues are unisons and octaves. A quick and effective fix is simply deciding who, among the group of players that are playing, uh, that they should listen to. You need to give them a target. Ideally, this is the most consistent player with the best intonation. So for example, in our advanced conducting lab this spring, a student was rehearsing Warren Barker's an Irish interlude. There's a spot in the middle where flute, clarinet, and alto sax are playing in trio together, and the intonation was pretty suspect. My student identified the problem, and set about solving it. He isolated the trio playing the unison melody and asked them to listen to the first chair alto sax for pitch and style. Intonation immediately was better. They simply needed to know who to match to. Sometimes though, you may need to pick the player or timbre that is most easy for everybody to hear. I recall a time earlier this semester where I had a trumpet, clarinet, and flute playing a unison line together and it was not in tune. i had asked them to match to the clarinet who had the best pitch of the group, but realized the trumpet in particular couldn't hear the clarinet due to physical proximity and the scoring at that moment in the music. So I adjusted and asked them to instead match to the trumpet who was easier to hear for all of them and that instantly fixed it. Obviously all of this is assuming students can hear and match two unison pitches. I recommend doing these kinds of exercises and isolating unison lines on a regular basis and not just melody lines, but also pick out harmony lines and counter lines, uh, maybe the bass line, Uh, whoever's playing in unison or octaves together. Determine ahead of time who all is playing those exact parts and and have them play together. And then tell them who to guide they're listening to. Give them a target. Uh, And then most importantly, have them write it down so they know at that moment in the music who they need to be listening to. Even young students can do this, but they need to practice it. If everyone's always playing, they can't hear themselves and learn to match pitch. Spend just a few minutes every rehearsal giving various students in your ensemble practice at matching unison lines in isolation. Give them a target and maybe start with one pitch. Maybe it's just one note. You can even involve the whole ensemble to listen to the added pitch. So, say you're matching to the horn player, have them play and then add the other horn player that's playing with them and have the ensemble vote. You know, thumbs up if it's sharp, thumbs down if it's flat, horizontal thumb across if it's in tune. So get them engaged and listening every rehearsal. I wish I had known to do more of these types of activities when I first started teaching. I think you'll find this practice also helps uh, you to identify individual playing issues like embouchures, not using enough air support, tone issues, et cetera. Uh, And it'll help you as you clean and rehearse your piece.
0: The COVID-19 pandemic has had a tremendous impact on how wind bands function in school settings. Towards the beginning of the pandemic, things seemed very uncertain, but many band directors came up with creative ways to continue to make music during these difficult times. We saw various virtual ensembles, solo recitals, and chamber ensembles, as well as socially distanced bands, and even porch performances. We've heard the words bell covers, playing masks, social distancing, and hybrid far too many times. So today, we wanted to share the stories of three band directors and their experiences with making music during the pandemic. We will be speaking with Melissa gustafson Hines, the band director at O'Fallon High School in O'Fallon, Illinois, Holly Thornton, beginning band director at Kinoa 5-6 School in Oakland, Michigan, and Corey Sepe, director of bands at Millican University in Decatur, Illinois. I hope you're able to use some of the ideas given by these accomplished band directors in your own band classrooms, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. All right, so let's get started. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and your band program?
2: I'm the Director of Bands and Music Department Chair at O'Fallon Township High School in O'Fallon, Illinois. The school is about 2,400 Kids plus, depending, you know, on the year, we also have two campuses. I am sitting in the freshman campus called the Milburn Campus, I'm completely separate. But we have an auditorium here, and we are doing band here all summer. And we have another campus um, that's more in central, I guess, central location of downtown, and that is ten through twelve. But all the sports and different activities happen at both campuses. So there's that. I've been here thirteen years, going on my fourteenth year. Um, I've taught 27 full years going into my 28th, which seems crazy, but I guess time flies when you're having fun. So, and a little bit of who we are, um, our marching band program is nationally recognized. And so we put a ton of effort into that. And it was pretty great before I got here as well. We have four concert bands. Um, the top two bands have done a lot of things. The freshman band has been the honor band at Super State. We put a lot of emphasis into solo and ensemble contests. Right now we're ranked second in IHSA even amidst um, this year um, with organizational points and different things like that. But we do a concert band festival here and um, a number of different things.
3: I have been teaching middle school band for 13 years. And um, so this was like lucky 13 <laughs> of this past school year. Um, and I've been at my current school for the last five years. So. Kinoa, five 5'6", and Okemos. Um So we have a 5th, 6th grade building, and I just teach beginners in my position there, beginning band. I've done some other classes as well, just to fill out my day, general music kind of classes generally.
4: I guess my story is falling in love with music um, during grade school. Um, I grew up overseas and uh, started playing clarinet and saxophone, uh, sort of unconventionally, um, because... Um, you know, I wasn't in the conventional uh, American band program. Um, So I got hooked in middle school. And by the time I was um, in, moved back to the States and was in a high school band program, it's my favorite thing to do, you know? So I was in, uh, at that point, concert band, orchestra, jazz band, marching band, choir, music theater, you name it. Um, And yeah, everyone always just says to, um, to study what you love. So um, even though I wasn't a great player, (laughs) I went to college to uh, study music education, thinking that, well, I love music and I love other people. And Wouldn't it be cool to teach elementary band or middle school band someday Um, and sort of never looked back Um, uh, was in the new uh, Boston area was in New England and um, ended up as a 21 year old high school band and jazz band director kind of without a clue of what I was doing and um, right around that time I started conducting more and more and and, um, very quickly in my early 20s realized that to conduct well and rehearse well is extremely difficult and uh, is sort of a lifelong journey that I wanted to embark upon. So I lead the Millikan Symphonic Wind Ensemble, um, which is, is sort of the bulk of my job. And then I do get to teach both beginning uh, and second semester sections of undergraduate conducting. Um, the second semester is just the instrumental uh, conducting students. Um, I typically do an independent study with a student every semester also as kind of a third semester or advanced advanced conducting, if you will. Um, and then I teach music theory and ear training as well. So. I I stay pretty busy.
0: Can you talk a little bit about what you did when we first shut down and about some of the challenges you faced during the pandemic?
2: How that all happened for us is I was actually a clinician at the National Festival. So I left that Wednesday when everything started shutting down that weekend of March. And on my way, I kept calling the assistant director from here, Philip Carter. And I was like, have you got anything? Have you seen anything from Music for All? Like, it's weird because like, I think WGI was shutting down and all these other things were like on that day. And I was on my way to Indy. Uh, With my daughter. Um, So um, she was going to stay with friends while I was serving as a clinician. I was on the invited stage and I've been doing that for a few years. And um, I'm like, is it still going? And he's like, I guess. And it just felt a little strange. You know what I mean? So, but we got there. um, I didn't have any indication that it wasn't going, but I knew it's some bands had dropped out. And we still, that Friday, I guess Thursday, Friday, Listen to three bands. We weren't able to go on the stage with them. Usually we do an interactive with the audience about the band and talk to the director and all these things. And we just stayed up. There was a handful of us that stayed. Some clinicians didn't even come in, but obviously I'm fairly close. So I was able to come. But, um, and then the next day, I think that either the governor or the mayor, something or something of that sort shut everything down. So the festival was done. So it was like so uh, my daughter and i came back into town as soon as we could on friday and i literally got to see the top concert band for 30 minutes and it was the last time that i saw them for the rest of the school year which i didn't realize that so um and when all that happened we took kind of two weeks off where we were seeing the kids a little bit but we didn't know what we were doing it was basically like they got us together that following monday the teachers and said hey, we're gonna take two weeks and see where this goes. And I would have never imagined it would be like over a year and months, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then we started kind of doing some things with the band music thinking that we were gonna come back. And so we were kind of running it, you know, online with that and that wasn't working out. And then we did practice logs and some other things, but we didn't know how to do like a full-blown concert or anything virtual or we didn't know what we were doing. You know what I mean? We were giving kids points for coming in. We were seeing them. You know maybe like a half an hour at a time during the class periods or whatever um but we weren't we were able to go into the school but not teach from there and that's kind of how how it was well that being said then we were hoping to have a marching band season the fall would be the same and so we we just kept on we did zoom marching band and then finally mid-june we were able to do groups of 10 meaning nine kids and a teacher but we did it it wasn't great but we wanted to see them Mm So we did that and then you know we had no parades in the summer and so we were off for a while and then we were able to come back in marching band and we had groups of 25 and looking back we probably still had the same number of rehearsals and hours we did with the kids but it was a 25 a 25 group wiggle to a 50 and then back to a 25 so we just had these bands that we just put together I also put together, and this is something I know one of your questions is like things you would do again, not if I would do this exact thing again, but it turned out pretty great as we put together a documentary of what everybody was doing. So it was like, maybe 11 bands or more, something like that. And I had a friend of mine who's going to be here in the fall helping me, but he is well connected to the drum corps scene and knew some videographer, PR person from the Blue Coats um, that would do a really good job putting a movie together. And then he went around and literally filmed a handful of bands, interviewed band directors, student leaders, whatever they were doing, whether it was marching band oh. or not. And we put it in a giant film that was about 2 hours and 15 minutes. And we sold tickets and, and showed it at the drive-in two nights. The other thing that we did, which I think is a question later on, we did, and I. I think I took this from somebody, but I can't remember who I took it from. We did a ton of these initially because it was something I could produce. Mm-hmm. We did porch performances. So really what it was, you go outside on your porch, 30 seconds, play whatever you want. And then we got all those and just splice them together.
0: Cool.
2: <laughs> yeah. And the kids would be like, um, I'm Jill, I'm a senior and I play the saxophone and here I go. Mm-hmm. And it's only 30 seconds. Like if you want to play over, that's fine, but we don't want to hear five minutes from you, no offense, you know what I mean? but." just 30 seconds and we did we did all sorts of things like that. Some of them had a theme, some of them didn't, but we did a bunch of those. We were actually able to have a performance that I produced and pushed out almost every week in the fall.
0: Oh, wow.
2: Yep, because so I was like, we'll perform every week. Mm-hmm. So I think we did it every week except for one. We did, once we were, we did chamber things and we did chamber things online. And then when I saw the marching band, we're like, we did all of the chamber stuff. We did duets, we did every group. I think it was like maybe brass. And then I broke the woodwinds down. Like all of them did multiple chamber pieces.
3: So our district basically made everything fully asynchronous for the for the initial shutdown for the um, 2020, like end of that school year. So we just did a lot of, more general music style offerings of, you can create something online or write a music story or just more kind of optional for the kids. Um, At that point, we didn't have any real classes for that whole rest of the year from March through June. And um, at that point, it was just about trying to keep the kids like connected and and you know trying to give them something fun to look forward to if they logged on for office hours or something like that. Uh, but as the summer hit and we kind of knew everything was going to be weird, but we didn't know how weird it was going to be. I couldn't really do a whole lot of prep because there was so much that didn't get uh, planned until the last minute. So my personal way of coping with that was generally I tried to get on as many committees and. Um, just kind of be involved in the planning process with our building leadership and our district leadership and try to just be a voice in that process of constructing the schedule and figuring out how music was going to work and all of that. Um, We didn't know probably till about a week or two weeks before school started exactly what it was going to look like. So this year was already going to be, this past school year was going to be weird for me because we were planning on starting double beginners, by which I mean um, for the last four years, I taught only sixth grade beginning band. And then um, we had made plans before all of this happened to start fifth grade beginning band as well. So this was going to be a year that I had sixth and fifth grade beginners. And then this coming year will be my first year where I have like sixth grade intermediate kids. Um, so I knew I was going to have a ton of beginners. I had about 200 total between fifth and sixth grade. So 100 in each, which was great um, and challenging. And um, luckily, a week before all this COVID stuff like shut the world down, we had had our whole instrument open house, petting zoo kind of thing. So most of the kids had a chance to try instruments. I wouldn't call it a proper fitting, but it was at least an experience. Um, so we... We made the decision when we knew we'd be online to not start instruments right away. For both my grade levels of kids, we just decided, and our string program as well, we we collaborated on this. So we both agreed we would not start instruments right away. At that time, there was a sense that we might only be virtual for the first nine weeks or so, and then there might be some sort of hybrid in-person option. So we wanted to just take that first nine weeks to really get to know the kids, establish some communication and culture, um, and not worry about trying to get them to put together a clarinet mouthpiece and read like a trope or Zoom. Um, So we did a lot of music reading and community building and um, music listening at the beginning of the year. And then when it was clear that we'd be online for at least the next chunk of time, we decided to uh, coordinate with orchestra and we started our instruments about November, mid-November. Yeah. Nope. We were online. So our school year played out as like kind of wait and see for a while, but we were fully online until mid-March. Yes. For a long time. We were one of the like last holdouts, I think, um, in many places, but in our area too. So our kids were fully online till March. And so we just kind of dove in and started them. And I got, as many of us did, a crash course in recording lots of videos and posting and and trying to manage, we only start five instruments in my school. So we start flute, clarinet, trumpet, trombone, baritone. So that minimized some of the work on my level, but it was, you know, every instrument needs its own tutorial on how to do each step. So there was a lot of that in November, December. And then when we came back in January, it was just like, let's try to get some sounds all fully on Zoom. We definitely utilized breakout rooms to be able to try and get those instrument sectionals. That was really helpful. Um, But it was definitely for a Month or two about January February it was kind of out of necessity a lot of flipped learning so a lot of like I recorded a video and clarinets go watch this while I teach the trumpets and then we switch because um, that was sort of the only way to fit in all the different instrument pedagogical things in the the fifty minutes that we had and we met for two and a half times a week and we have the whole school year so normally I have my kids every day five days a week for about fifty minutes but this past school year it was twice a week for proper class periods, and then once a week for like a 20 minute class. Yeah, so it was also, aside from everything else, a major cutback on the amount of face time that we had with them. What was one of the pieces of technology that you used and how did it help you throughout the school year? One of the only ways we could have survived was Flipgrid. I know a lot of people use that, but being able to have the kids go record, like even a one minute Flipgrid, go record yourself buzzing on the mouthpiece, go record yourself playing Whatever song you can find on page four in the book, or whatever, but um, those were sort of excruciating flip grids to sit through. But there was no other way to get formative feedback from them on how things were going because it is like karaoke band, like play along with Mrs. Thornton. And I don't really know how it's going until I listen to those flip grids and then, you know, rub my temples in frustration and then do it again in two more days.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first thing to do was was kind of decompress and and just. Um Step away for a bit um, in May and June. And then, you know, conversations ramped up midsummer. Um, th- there was a, a waiting game. It was strange because th- the situation was changing almost weekly uh, in terms of the pandemic and, and where um, our country was at. Uh, you know, where, first of all, where COVID was at globally, where we were at as the as United States, different states, different institutional policies. Um, my, my beacon of light was, was the research, right? Um, this, this study that was co-sponsored by CBDNA, the College Band Directors National Association, um, led by our, our fearless president, Mark Speed. Um, it was incredible to, um, to watch this group of, of college band directors, um, you know, sort of uh, come together in support of science and um, co-commission this study. Um, at the University of Colorado, and I think the University of Maryland, if, if my recollection is correct. And um, yeah, it was like, it was like when you watch a TV show, and, and you're, you can't wait for the next episode, but in, in a, a much less positive way, because we just, we were kind of waiting for the next study, waiting for the next publication, because they were doing hard science that replicated wind instruments, um, specific to, you know, the spread of aerosols. And I mean, to any band director listening to this, we're sick of the word aerosol, we're sick of the um, (laughs) after, after a whole year of this, um, you know, all these different, um, measures that, that we, um, put in place and, and that we necessarily took so that we could keep making music safely last year. Um, so on the one hand, I'm, I'm tired of, of thinking about it, of talking about it, but on the other hand, I'm so, so grateful as I start to look back, as we kind of start to emerge from, from this, um, this pandemic, um, we wouldn't have been able to make music if it weren't for, um, this specific study and a lot of uh, similar studies and, and sort of the um, best practices that were published and, and uh, disseminated to all band programs, hopefully around the world, but at least in this country, um, that basically said, okay, here's here's how you can make music together while keeping student safety first. That was a non-negotiable as we went into the decision-making phase in, in uh, mid and late summer. And um, on what we now you know are now familiar with is zoom um a a ton of zoom calls with with my bosses and colleagues and um trying to to set um a school year in motion that was going to prioritize student safety while also um allowing students the opportunity to make music together you know it was my first year as as dob in a collegiate program and uh, there was a ton of momentum we were I thought year one was going great. Um, students were engaged. I was was just thrilled to to be working with the caliber of students that we have here, the caliber of colleagues. Um, we had just um, premiered a big clarinet concerto with a dear colleague of mine, David Cook, written by um, uh, Garrett Gillingham, David Gillingham's son, and both of them had just come down. From, um, we're in residency. Um, that was March first, twenty twenty, and um yeah we were one rehearsal into our our last program which is going to be the biggest program of the year um and yeah i was just excited for for what the spring had to offer and um yeah i'll never forget I, my wife and i took a, our first real vacation just the two of us we were in belize and i got an email from our provost that said hey i heard you're, you're, you're traveling internationally um basically please tell me you're not in china or, or europe right now i said no we're on this little island um off the coast of belize and uh, and that was it. So yeah, it's long answer to your question. Um, poured myself into a digital project. You know, we're uh, doing the mixing and, and um, had a student do the video. Um, trying to be, I, I teach music theory as well. Just trying to be the best, most consistent virtual music theory teacher I could be. Um, teaching conducting virtually was was a trip. You know, a lot of video work, um, students singing, conducting the recordings, and, and just just kind of honestly fighting through to get to to last summer. Um, because it was so sudden and so unexpected and so unwelcome Um, and then we had the summer to recoup and to evaluate and, and make a plan for this past year.
0: How important was it to keep making music during the pandemic and if this were to happen again what advice would you give to future music educators
2: i mean there were parents at times that said you're the only one doing things and i'm like well probably not all the way correct black and white like you said but i mean obviously in a math class you're not going to be able to connect with people and you know i mean when they come in we were always talking to them talking to them when they left giving them some time for that and to see us and at least giving them an experience. I mean, we were really aware of like the social part and we knew that we had some kids that were struggling. Um, like, and you know what I mean? Struggling academically and struggling just with themselves. Um, that some kids, you know, some kids thrived in this. They're like, I, I am self-motivated. I can go on and do all my thing. I probably would have been fine, you know, looking back. But some kids need to have the in-person learning. Some kids need to be with others. And so that was the one thing we wanted to, we knew that we weren't gonna sound as great as what we wanted to or anything like that. I was like, we just need to get these kids here, you know, and we had a ton of parents help because we had to do a million temperature checks, COVID checks and paperwork and all these things. I have a huge like crate of just forms of all the kids of all, everything that they did. And, and it was a lot to do. It was a lot more than usual band, which band is always a lot to do. People don't realize that, but it is, it's a ton to do. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the number one thing is just, we wanted those kids to see each other and see us mm-hmm. and be together. And then if we get to make music and the, the end of it and fine, yeah. I mean, but that, that's where we were We're like, these kids need to be here and they need to come to school. Mm-hmm. They need to be with each other. Yeah. So to, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's human interaction. I think of all of this, I always feel on my hardest day as a music teacher, I feel honored that I get to teach kids through an art form. You know, I was signed up to be a math teacher a little bit on the side, you know, but it, w- it just wouldn't be the same, mm-hmm. you know, because music and the arts teach people to be people. Um, and so I felt really responsible more than I normally do. And I feel really responsible for this O'Fallon Township High School program and a, being a music educator in general, but keeping things moving for kids. What we do makes a difference at all times. And every decision that you make as a music educator, makes a difference either moving forward or sideways or something, hopefully something positive for some kid. You know, you just never know that one nice thing to one kid can change their path. Um, and just being aware of that, that what we do is very valuable and it's also honorable on the the good days and the, and the really hard days as being a music teacher. And um, I don't know, just lo- continue to love what you do because it makes a difference. I mean, kids go back and they'll remember some of their classes, but they'll definitely remember band and they'll remember you and they'll remember the things you did or the things maybe you didn't. So if you're going to be there, you just need to do it because it, because it's our responsibility to give every kid, whatever resources we have, whatever we bring to the table, the very best experience that we can to shape their lives for the better.
3: The piece of advice I would give, I hope this doesn't happen again, but if it does is to focus on building relationships between the students and allowing the process to be the most important thing and not the performance-based product. Um, I, So many of us did these virtual concert editing craziness, and, and I did one myself. And it was a really great thing to be able to share out at the end of the year to, to like have everybody feel like we did something. But it was so much work, and I think we all know that going in. But it was time spent that could have maybe been more focused on more important, that relationship culture piece of it. So I do think, however, that is another thing that I may, may keep in some form going forward, because when we emailed out the videos of the virtual concert to the families and to the staff, that's a form of performing that we have never done before. It's usually just like in the auditorium. And if you happen to make it at 7 p.m. that Thursday, so having that as an open source, like many teachers showed that in their classes in the last week of school. So the whole school is seeing and supporting and, and all that. And for you know grandparents to be able to see that and everything. But also something fun we did is in our virtual concert, we invited staff members to record because it was all being uploaded anyway. So we had like random staff members, front office personnel, like pulled out their instruments and recorded their, you know, little thing of Ode to Joy. And then I edited them in and the kids didn't know about it. It was a surprise. So when they watch the concert, they're like, Hey, there's, you know, Mrs. Whatever from the office and there's the guidance counselor and there's my science teacher. Um, So that was a really fun thing that I will not take on a whole crazy editing process going forward, but finding some way to create, a keepsake item that can be shared and involve more of the community is something that I may continue to explore. But I think if we, if we hit this road again, just trying to remember to build those relationships and to meet the kids where they're at and finding ways to make music with them that are on their level and not necessarily focused on the ensemble, but more in that individual musicianship lens, I think has something to just retain on some level.
4: put yourself in the shoes, especially of, of, let's say a college freshman, right? Coming into a pandemic situation where maybe you're in a single dorm instead of a, a, a double. Um, maybe you are uh, interacting with your peers exclusively through Snapchat or whatever, you know, the text message instead of going out to, to eat with them. Um, you know, there, there's uh, so many parts of the college life to do with people getting close to each other physically and interacting with each other um, in person and these were all the things that were shut down so the ability to come and and for some of my students i think wind ensemble was their only in-person class so to be able to come in you know and and safely sit down even in a room with peers and engage in something collective um, i I hope that was important the ones who i interviewed at the end of the the year and the ones i spoke to throughout the year um, said that it, it you know, it was better than nothing. It was better than, than staying completely isolated from each other. I think it's important to make music, no matter what, Uh, you know, that's, um, you look at the history of of humankind, and and the arts are um, cathartic, the arts are are a way that we can process emotion that nothing else allows us to process. Um, I'm thinking back to how I felt on stage, again, just what 48 hours after the birth of my daughter, making music with with my students, it was, um, you know, I'm at a lot, I'm rarely at a loss for words, as you've probably gathered, but that that feeling um, was just incomparable. Um, And, you know, music is is unique in its ability to connect with human emotion and and the human condition and express. I mean, there are a million quotes by people who are far more articulate than I um, that, that address this, but you know where where words fail, music speaks is one of them, and and there was a lot going on this last year and a half uh, in everyone's lives. Um, not to say that there's not normally, but um, it was a particularly difficult era, I think, for the world, and and especially for artists whose audiences dried up and, and whose livelihoods were, um, you know, were called into question. And um, yeah, to to be able to make music safely. Um, for so many reasons was important. Um, but I think that the reason it was the, the number one reason is for our hearts, for, for our, our emotional and, um, mental and collective being. Um, we have to, we have to pursue this cause it's what we do. You know, it's, it's, uh, if you ask any musician in some way, shape or form, they'll say that, that, um, this is how I communicate this is how I, I I share myself with others and this is how I invite others to into my life and and to do so collectively in in any ensemble whether it's a, a you know group of four playing rock music or um, whether it's a group of 80 in a symphony orchestra um, it's just it's a special mode of communication and it's one that that transcends a lot of barriers and and brings people together and I think makes the world a, a better place through sound. That's really what, um, what I feel um, at the end of the day is, is what my career is all about. Um, and being a band director, so to speak, is all about. So um, yeah, to, to be able to hopefully put some good into the world, um, albeit in a very different package throughout the pandemic, um, I think was so important. It was for me, because I, I don't know what I would have done without it, I, I would have continued to spiral, I think, and go go crazier than I was already going in, um, spring of 2020. So I'm very grateful that we were able to, to put those safety measures in place and and come together and and do some projects. Um, and some projects were, were more, um, successful than others. Um, but that's, that's how it goes when you're throwing paint on the wall and trying to see what sticks and, um, improvising in, in a situation that, um, you know, none of us could have ever prepared for, Um, and, and you know and getting to collaborate too we, we were able to do a, a really neat video project that we're gonna release here pretty soon with dancers and choreographers again distanced and, um and and yeah sometimes um the artist's hand is forced by by outside circumstances and having some some different um you know, if you look at um, Messian Quartet for the End of Time, that this situation uh, in a concentration camp, when he wrote that piece was, these are the musicians that I have access to, so I'm gonna write a piece for that instrumentation. Well, um, on, a, on a, ironically less intense scale, um, during the pandemic, it forced musicians across the globe to, to be creative with what they had access to. Um, and I, I think that we'll look back on this and, and think, wow, this stuff, these different works of art and these different um, pieces of music and performances would have never happened. Uh, These recordings would have never happened if it weren't for this unique, uh, unique year and a half or two year continuum. Because the question is specific to band directors, I would say don't do an editing based project where you bring a bunch of solo recordings and splice them together. That is not band. That is not an ensemble. Um, Even if it's three people, Trying to to stay together rhythmically, sitting 20 feet apart, and you're conducting from 60 yards away. Um, do something that brings humans together to play their instruments um, together. Um, there, there's just simply no substitute for that. Um, but only do it if it's safe. I mean, that's that's always the, the first the first consideration.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of One More Time, A Wind Band Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to share it on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you want to stay current with Illinois Bands between episodes, follow us on Facebook, join us on our Instagram at Illinois underscore Bands, or find us on Twitter at Illinois Bands. You can always check out our website for more information at www.bands.illinois.edu. Executive producer of this episode is Dr. Anthony Messina. This episode was hosted and mixed by Mike Tulio. None of this would be possible without the Illinois Bands faculty, Stephen Peterson, Director of Bands, Linda Morehouse, Senior Associate Director of Bands, Elizabeth Peterson, Associate Director of Bands, and Barry Hauser, Associate Director of Bands and Director of Athletic Bands. Illinois Bands is part of the School of Music at the University of Illinois and the College of Fine and Applied Arts. We would like to thank Luke Johnson, Melissa Gustafson-Hines, Holly Thornton, and Corey Sepe for their contributions to this episode. We hope you will join us for our next episode of One More Time, a Wind Band Podcast.